Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, links for you to subscribe to the podcast, and a place where you can donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Seth. Hi, I'm Seth. I'm a compulsive over here, 100-pounder. Hi, Hi Seth. Um, thanks for asking me to do this, Dave. I'm uh, a little nervous. It's my first time delivering a pitch in this uh, fellowship. Um, I've got over a year of abstinence in this fellowship, um, so I thought I'd just stick to the basics and tell you what happened, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Um, my parents couldn't stand to be, you know, they divorced before I was one year old. Um, up until the day my mom uh, passed away, it was almost impossible to have my mom and dad in the same room together. Um, I lived with my mom until um, age five, and, um, you know, we, it's about food, so I'm going to share about food. Um, one of the things I remember mom making was cowboy eggs, which was um, toast, and you got to sop your toast in the egg stuff, yolk. And that was it. That was cowboy eggs. So, um, so you know, and, and I was I was good you know, as a kid. Um, but I was depressed. I was an only child by that marriage. I had two older half brothers by my father's previous marriage, but I didn't live with them. And even when I went to go live with my dad after age five, I lived with him, and they lived with their mom. Um, so I was dad, and um, you know, it was dad's fun house. He was gone a lot. Uh, he was a busy physician, surgeon, and, um, you know, I'd come home from school, and I'd just kind of forage for myself in the refrigerator. I think, you know, I'd have ice cream. Um, you know, I, w- I would do, like, ham. I'd get ham, and I'd roll a piece of cheese in it. I'd eat raw hot dogs. Um, that was something I ate as a kid. Um, just a lot of unsupervised, again, kind of lonely time. Um, just kind of set up for depression, I think, later on those years. Um and uh, eventually, um, Dad couldn't get a job in L.A., so he moved to Palm Springs. And I went to go live with my half-brother's mother and their stepdad. That was weird. And I was nine years old. I felt extremely abandoned, really bad. I mean, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't related to their parents. I'm living and I'm nine, you know. And I was extremely lonely. I remember one time... You know, everybody had playmates and friends and stuff, and I'm nine, and my brothers are, you know, a couple years older. And um, I would make up, I would say, oh, I'm going over to Charlie's house. And um, there was no Charlie. It was just an excuse for me to get out of the house, ride my bike around the neighborhood, and, you know, do I don't know what. And there was just, you know, it was kind of weird about food in that household. Um, Their mom cooked, and that was great. But there was, like, this weird thing, like, they had push-ups. You know, remember yogurt push-ups? I don't know if they still have those. Um, they'd have push-ups, they'd have, like, granola bars. And, like, my brothers would accuse me of eating the last one. You eat the last one. I'm like, well, somebody's going to eat the last one. You know? I and mean, why can't it be me? And, um, no, anyway, entitlement, setting up the entitlement. Right um, so, so, anyway, um, you know... And, um, but, you know, I'm trying to just, you know, give you a picture of kind of, you know, why, why I became, I think part of, you know, why I became an overeater was that there was this, you know, this vacant feeling inside of me, um, 
that felt really lonesome and abandoned. Um, so I, my mom was remarried in the in the meantime to a wonderful man. This guy was awesome. My stepdad was really cool, and he was a gourmand. Um, you know, we lived in the Beverly Hills area. He was pretty well off. We were very well off, actually. And you know, he would take trips to Europe, and he'd bring back truffles. That was like his thing. And these are like I don't know, they're little balls. And they're like a hundred dollars each or something crazy. David would know. And, um, <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, and um, he was off to me. I mean, it's funny. I had this. I was. I didn't know what I should. I had this memory. You know, I was. I was he put you. You package truffles in uncooked rice because I guess it absorbs the moisture or something and keeps them fresh. And I was playing with his truffles. And he was like, "Stop molesting my stop bothering my truffles." You know, and he, he was cool. You know, I mean, he. You know, he really only got upset with me a couple times. But what I want to emphasize, he was a gourmand. I mean, he would have fruit like. It wasn't enough for him to have a bowl of fruit. He'd have a bowl of fruit with, like, sour cream and sugar on it. He'd have a bowl of oatmeal. Not just a bowl of oatmeal. He'd put cheese, raisins, and brown sugar and milk on it. Um, he loved pesto. To this day, if there's, like, a pesto thing, I'm getting it. Um, you know, and uh, Norm's has a pesto salad. Yeah, that's me, too. And, um, um, so, yeah, the, the, so the, those were the good years for me, like, nine... Nine to sixteen, I was like free. My dad stopped seeing me because my uh, my stepdad sued for child support, and my dad said, "You know what? I don't want to pay child support." And the fact that my dad didn't want, anyway. Long story short, my dad stopped seeing me. So this like doubled the feeling of abandonment for me because it was like he dripped, he ditched me once, you know, with my mom, with my brother's mom, and here I am, I'm being ditched again. But what was great is, you know, my dad was extremely—he's a domineering, controlling, manipulative bully. Um, and, you know, he's still alive. He's in his 90s now. And um, I don't—I haven't talked to him in four years. Um, and, uh, you know, this stepdad that I had really um, did a lot for me. And, um, you know, in, in, a, in all areas of my life, I mean, I went to great schools, um, sent me to some really good schools. Um, he set me up with music lessons. I had a tenor, you know, I had a saxophone, I uh, had a synthesizer, like the hot keyboard that the pros were using, he got me. I had a beg and wine and beg and wine, but he got it for me. And, um, and uh, you know, I was getting lessons, and I was like, you know, the, the, the jazz teacher's favorite, you know, not really his favorite, but I, I knew he was impressed by me. Um, and uh, it was great, um, you know, and I felt that I had my own voice with him. With my dad, it was like, I could just talk and talk, and we'd be you know, so-called communicating, and it was like it just wasn't getting through to him that I, I felt like, I already felt cheated in life, like, around that time. And my stepdad kind of made that all better. And um, so anyway, in junior high, um, I was, I, I hate to admit this, this is really weird for me, but, you know, in junior high, I always look back and I go, oh, I was kind of husky. I was the fat kid. I didn't know it. it I, can't, I, I went to a small junior high school, and um, I was overweight. You know, I, I was a big guy in my pants and stuff. And um, uh, I ended up going to um, Harvard-Westlake School in the Valley when it was still Harvard School for boys. And um, I joined, you know, my, my stepdad loved to run. Uh, he was a jogger. He was an avid runner, jogger, you know, 10K guy. And um, I did. I wasn't coordinated, so I thought, I'm not coordinated. I'm not going to do the basketball. And I'm going to run cross-country because you can be good at it without being, uh, you know, Coordinated, and the great thing about cross country is running four or five miles a day. You pretty much can eat whatever you want, especially as a kid. So you know, I'd come home from from high school. Uh, yeah, I come home from high school, and um, you know, we had we had the. I told you, Dennis, my stepdad was a gourmand. We had a refrigerator, the see-through 
see-through refrigerator, so you didn't have to open it. You could see all the food. And, and there was always good food. There was always, you know, there was always, like, lettuce, you know, nice lettuce, fresh vegetables. I could make a salad if I wanted to with blue cheese. Um, I made these burritos, like, out of, like, you know, premium ground meat. I'm cooking it up, and I'm putting cheese on it and sour cream on it. And I'm eating those, and... Um, you know, one of the great things, my mom was a shrieker and a yeller and an emotional abuser. Um, and uh, Dennis, my stepdad, excuse me, used to take her out, you know, the, the Hollywood Bowl, and he'd take her to the Philharmonic and stuff, and get her out of my hair for the evening. And it was just awesome. You know, see you later! Okay, you know. And, um, and, um, um, and then we had this, um, we had this housekeeper who was really cool, and she would cook me authentic Mexican-style tacos. And I would just be like, bring them on. You know, I'd have six, and then be like, that's not enough. Three, four. You know, I, I forget, but it was like a lot of tacos. And I like to eat. You know, I like to eat. Um, so it'll speed up a little bit. Um, when, when I, um, you know, it talks about in the big book, um, in Bill's story, about I had arrived. Remember that part where he gets there? You know, I forget which part it is, but he says, I've arrived. So I arrived when I got into a... Um, uh, prestigious um, New England, you know, uh, school, Ivy League school. And um, this was like, you know, this was great. This like validated all my feelings, all my arrogance, and all of my, you know, entitlement and grandiosity just got validated by this, by getting into this school. And, um, you know, I went off and I was like, hey, I'm, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to earn so much money. You know, I, I was 3,000 miles from mom. Great, and I'm going to earn so much money. You know, I'm going to go to law school, get you know, get a good job, and I never have to talk to that shrieking ogre monster again. And um, that was the thing. And um, um, you know, I wanted to uh, I wanted to be in with the girls. That was a big thing. I'm in I'm in um, one of the S fellowships. I'm in a lot of different programs. I'm in five different fellowships, but one of them is the S fellowship. And um, one of the big draw for me was like, you know, okay, we're you know we're here at this Ivy League school. There's no uh, you know, parents around, and, um, and uh, you know, here we go. We're going to try to make good with the girls. And uh, all, I noticed all the guys who, uh, um, who, who, who were successful socially and, and um, you know, sort of, yeah, all the guys who were successful socially rode crew. So I'm like, sign me up. I'm a row. And, um, and, um, uh, that was a good thing. I mean, that was good. It trained me. It gave me a lot of, you know, I learned a lot of discipline, and I learned, um, you know, it was, it was a fun time. Um, but I, uh, you know, I would stay at the boathouse for like an extra hour. I was like working out for like three hours a day, and I could eat whatever I wanted, and I get that. You know, I'd, I'd go to the dining hall and just chow down. We'd, we'd all do it, and, uh, you know, we'd be like the last ones at the dining hall, and it would be like, you know, four biscuits and all the noodles and all the carbohydrates that we needed to you know, keep it going. And um, that was fun. Um, so I finally, you know, I felt pretty good about uh, my status with girls, and I was, you know, seeing women, and I quit rowing, and um, I started drinking a lot. Um, it's part of my story. I know this is an AA, but um, it's, it's important. And I started drinking, and, of course, I put on weight. I had a, you know, beer belly going, a little red nose, like if you look at pictures of me. And, um, and, um, and then I got introduced to uh, to um, some uh, some uh, I got introduced to pot and it took me down. Um, you know, I got basically I got 
kicked out, dropped out of that school, which you almost have to try to do. And um, and I landed in the psych ward. And, you know, the that was it. I was like, you know, incomprehensible demoralization. Um, I didn't even know what it thought. I was a psych major, and I didn't even know. <laughs> No, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a story. I'll tell you a funny. This is funny, okay? We 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 saw this guy in, in class when, when we did when we were in Psych 101. We saw this guy. It was an intake. They had filmed intake interviews with people who had full blown mental illness, and one of them was a bipolar guy. And he's talking about how you know he he had uh, you know uh, he had um, impregnated Olivia Newton John, and you know he's like taking these. Um, I still remember when he took this leg warmers and put them up to the top and goes, now they're knee pads, you know, and he was just like, off, you know, off going, and I was doing impressions of this guy for like anybody who would listen to me in the dining hall, and then here I am like, you know what, a year later, and I'm in a hospital doing the same kind of stuff, and uh, it was like prophetic or something, and um, so I'm in the hospital, and um, yeah, I mean, my, my, uh, my connection to reality just got yanked, you know. It got yanked. And um, I didn't do well. Um, I didn't want to take their medication. You know, I had this music thing that I was doing. And, um, you know, I, I sort of put that on the back burner in favor of rowing when I was in college, but then it, like, came back when I quit rowing. I had a guitar, and, you know, I'd play a little bit. And I thought I was going to be, like, a David Bowie or somebody. And... Um, and I, and I told him, I said, you know, you can't medicate me because I'm creative and it will meddle with my creativity. And, I, you know, just fast forward, I, I was playing that same tune for like 10 years, you know. And finally, I like, I realized, like, the problem is when you're off your meds, you're in the hospital and you don't have access to saxophone, synthesizer, guitar, you know. And, um, and you know, no one wants to, <laughs> no one wants to hear it. Um, so... Yeah, so this began a series of in and out of in and out of hospitals, and um, just to yeah, so um, in and out of in and out of hospitals, and uh, Dad re-enters my life, which was like the worst thing that could happen. He came back when I was eighteen, and he had like, stopping child support. He's back, and he's a doctor. He's a plastic surgeon, and he's like meeting with my doctors, and they're like very clinical about me, and this is getting me really PO'd that I'm like being treated like a you know a you know, a Petri dish for them, you know, and that's the way it felt, at least, with my dad around. And, um, and this was very stifling. Um, and I felt, again, I, it put me back to where I didn't feel like I had a voice. I just didn't feel like anybody was connecting with how much anger and rage and other stuff I had, you know, as a result of you know, being abandoned, dad checking out of my life, um, then swooping back in when I get sick and like here I am a patient and it totally changed the nature of, nature of my relationship with my dad it was like I was his patient now and, and, and you know my doctors were like you know I'm like waiting for someone to step in and, and tell him you know he's not your patient and it wasn't happening these doctors were like well sure I want to meet you know yeah we'll, we'll consult with Dr. Harden about Seth and it's like the, the human aspect you know, again, you know, it's like the, the reality cord had been yanked and, like, the human part got yanked. Like, I felt like I, I just wasn't even, I felt like I, nobody was looking out for me at all. And here's my dad, of all people, not looking out for me. And 
acting really contrary to what, you know, my wishes were. And, you know, every time I sort of asserted myself, I got, well, you're psychotic. That's just your symptomology. Kind of weird. Hard, hard to live with. Hard to live in that, in that kind of deal. So, you know, what I did is um, I got sober, which was great. Um, and, uh, you know, um, I started that voyage. And um, happily, that brought me to some other fellowships. Um, and I've been doing well in those. Um, but I want to talk about this fellowship because... Um, I can pinpoint, you know, when food became really a problem was when I was, um, I got sober in 97 and then I drank and I got to get sober again. And because of the stuff that I did related to that particular drinking episode, I got locked up for two and a half years in the psych ward. You know, and I was no stranger. I mean, I've been, I've already been to UCLA for eight months. They electroshocked me um, against my will. And so, you know, I, I was already, I mean, I was, I came loaded with a lot of anger and a lot of rage um, towards those doctors. And here's my dad, he's another doctor, and he's coming to visit me, which, and, and, uh, and, and here's the food, here's the food part. He would bring tons of food. That was like when I started, it was like he was urging, you know, I'm only realizing this now, though, I'm, 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 I'm you're talking about. It. it was like he was saying to me, like, I'm gonna let I'm gonna let you use food to medicate. I know you're lonely as hell in here. There's really no one to talk about Frederick Nietzsche or anybody you know you like, you know. And, and, um, yeah, I know. And I know. And when they're like, yeah, so why don't you go to you know the 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 the, the what do they call it? current events group, you know? And I'm like, yeah, when you have Nietzsche roundtable, call me up. I'll get out of my bed and I'll go to that. Group. That was my arrogance. That's the entitlement. That's the you know that's the arrogance. Um, and um, so, uh, so, um, so yeah. So he would bring you know Italian subs. We had we were talking about like you know multiple subs from Subway. I, I'd be on the phone. I'd be like, okay, you're getting me uh, you know three steak tacos from Taco Bell. I want a Whopper. Shake. He would go to like not just Taco Bell. I mean, he would literally go to Subway, Taco Bell, and Burger King. I'm not making this up. Okay. He would just come with all this food and like you know like you know. Like subs from like the real Italian places, they really taste good. And um, I gained a lot of weight. I went from like, you know, there was at one point I think I weighed like, you know, it's funny. I, I've always identified as a non-restrictor. That's just never been an issue for me. But there was a point in that hospitalization, or actually the a previous hospitalization in the same place. I just share about this. I weighed like 140, 145, and I had long hair. Like nobody talks about it. Um, but I was so scared to go out of my room. I would only eat Snickers bars. Like, I, I had some Snickers bars. There was, like, this one big guy that I was really afraid of, and I wouldn't go out of my room. So I lost all this weight. Anyway, um, so I gained, I, I mean, I became a fat kid. I was a fat guy. I was a fat guy. And, um, thank you. And, uh, yeah, it's hard. I, I have a lot of anger and resentment towards my dad for for being, maybe he didn't allow it to happen, but I mean, it seems like he was like an accomplice to me gaining all this weight. And, um, you know, he was a prisoner of war in Nazi Germany, and he was always talking about how they starved him. And just to give you a picture of who my dad is and how bullying and domineering is, there's part of me that believes that he wanted me to, you know, get fat, so then I'd have to lose 80 or 100 pounds the way he did in the Nazi prison camp when he wasn't being fed, so I could relate to him, you know, and how you know, great it is to be Buck H, my dad. 
And um, so, uh, um, I uh, I got sober in AA, and um, I got a wonderful sponsor, great guy, um, and just slowly I got turned on to other fellowships. And I don't even remember what the impetus. Well, I now remember what the impetus was to have Dave to be my sponsor. They were Dave Arias here as my sponsor. Um, the doctor said to me, you know, I was carrying all this weight around that I gained, and then the, you know the medications I'm on for bipolar really didn't help things. They make you fat. Um, and uh, and I was eating, of course. And um, <laughs> right. I know. They make you crave Ben and Jerry's a lot. You know, they're, 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 and um, my therapist. I love that one. I love that one. My therapist. Um, I was doing that. That was my therapy up until I got sober in this accident. I was, I was, I was getting pizza, and I weighed 300 pounds, and I'm 5'10". The doctor said, you're going to die or have a heart attack. So I, I, I forget what I did, but I somehow I got hooked up with David here, and we've been working together, um, and it's been great. I mean, it hasn't been easy. David wanted me to share. I live at a boarding care facility for psychiatric patients. They serve three meals a day, but it's not all abstinent. Like today was grilled cheese. You know, grilled cheese for on, on white bread, probably. Or they'll have tuna men, tuna melt, or they'll have spaghetti noodles, or they'll have tuna casserole. All white stuff that I can't have. My bottom line is white sugar and white flour. And um, it's not easy. I go to Subway a lot. I mean, they know me. I walk in. I'm like the subway sucker. Sorry. <laughs> That's mine. Anyway, um, uh, I go to subway a lot. You know, I eat soggy sandwiches. I get six six inches for lunch, and then I get six inches for dinner. And um, it's not easy. And I get, I get angry. You know, I wish I weren't at this place. I get resentment. I wish I weren't at this place. If I had my own kitchen, I'd be saving money. I'd be eating even more abstinent. Um... And um, it's not easy. I, I, I do a lot of fruit. You know, I eat a lot of apples. Um, I take advantage of those uh, vendors, the guys with the bright yellow, the bright umbrellas. Um, I try to eat that fruit, you know, at least once every couple of weeks. And, um, yeah, I just, I can't, I, I mean, I'm not trying to get you to feel sorry for me. I'm just saying it's really hard. It's really hard to, uh, you know, have a good job. Um, I got a, a new job. Uh, I was working as a custodian at the library when I weighed 300 pounds. And I started getting abstinent, and I probably lost about, like, 60 or 80 of those pounds. Um, by the time I had the interview with the doctor for my current job, I'm a front desk at this chiropractor's office. And I, I often think, I don't think he's, like, you know, discriminatory against people who are overweight, but I don't know if I'd get the if I Would I have gotten the job if I had gone in there as a 300-pound guy? I mean, it is, he has a lot of, you know, I'm going to say it, sexy clients. They're, it's kind of a sexy thing. People are coming in to feel good. He's a chiropractor. They're coming in to, you know, get adjusted and feel good and look good. And, um, you know, being overweight doesn't really jive with his mission for his office. So, I, I you know, I count that as a gift of this program, that I got that job. It's huge, you know, for me to be, to go from mentally ill, to go from 14 hospitalizations, to employ to a job that really, I mean, it doesn't sound like much, but for me, it's beyond beyond my wildest dreams. If you told me, you know, five years ago, you'll be working, making a paycheck, and 
a lot of my paycheck goes towards food, though, and that's a resentment. You know, going going to abstinent restaurants costs money, so it's it's a thing for me. It's it's a you know. Um, so I'll just wrap up uh, so you have time for questions. Um, uh, nowadays, you know, I uh, I just trudge along. The holidays are difficult. You know, I didn't flip, but as David says, you know, it got messy. And um, it got messy. I, you know, I didn't binge on sugar, but yes, I had white flour. And I had cheeses and meats and creamy soups. And, and I was just saying, you know, it's cool, it's cool, because I'll get it back, you know, I'll get back on. So today, you know, I, I stayed abstinent today. I had a lot of fruit. I had like, you know, four or five pieces of fruit. I get unlimited fruit with Dave, so that's cool. And, um, and, uh, you know, and I called some people. I tried to get, you know, my, I do a 10th step with, uh, with my sponsor every morning. Um, and one of the things I do is I talk about, did I make outreach calls? So today I made outreach calls. I'm doing my very best to, you know, I slipped. It was, I didn't slip, but it got messy over the holidays and now I'm trying to get it back. And I feel better when I'm abstinent. I can tell. When I put that, like, white stuff in my mouth, I can feel it. I can feel like it's like, you know, it's like, it gets weird in there. You know, and, <laughs> So, um, okay, I'll quit on an up note. Thanks for letting me show. <laughs> yes, step 11. Okay, um, that's great. I'm glad you asked that. I, I was hoping someone would talk about prayer and meditation. Because one of the things I looked around, and it wasn't just in this fellowship, but um, I bought that... Yeah, okay, how do I do it? I pray. I started praying on my knees. Just like this, this happened sort of in the last month. That's why I'm so glad you asked. I started getting on my knees. For a long time, I was too good for it. That was for you, you know, pledge. I'm, you know, getting on great, you know, without, 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 um, prayer meditation. So I get on my knees in the morning. Sometimes I forget. Sometimes I'll forget for like several hours. But as soon as I remember, I'm on my knees and I just say, please. And then at the end of the evening, I say, thank you. And I go to bed. Just like that. And uh, as far as meditation, um, I read the Blue Voices of Recovery book. Yeah, it's right there. Steve's got it. That thing is really cool. And I read out of that every day. That's my current meditation. Is that good? Okay. <laughs> well, you know, step two and three. Part of it is like realizing like my own best thinking gets me locked up in a psych ward. So I'm very quick to try to put the you know the the power elsewhere. Um, even if even if it's just in my sponsor, you know, just take the power, you know, surrender it to somewhere something else that's not me. Um, and you know, I'm a big skeptic. I, I was raised without religion. I'm not religious. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, for me. I, I had I have to remind myself my best thinking I'm 300 pounds and I you know I saw it over the holidays my my thinking crept in and I started I started to almost binge yeah thanks um, I think what the lady's asking is that um, did the 12 steps give me any kind of reprieve or relief from resentment against the institutions that I've been in and still am in yeah yeah, I resent it. Um, I hate telling people, you know, where do you live, you know? It's like, oh, you know, my life's gotten better. I quit smoking. I've lost weight. I've got a better job. And then where do you live? 
boy didn't care. You know, and it's like it's so not 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 hip and cool, and uh, <laughs> you know, and um, so I've got a huge resentment. Um, what I do is, you know, the twelve steps and via my programs, I'll answer like this: my programs have provided me with such a structured life that you know, I'm gone from their institution pretty much the whole day. I mean, I come home to sleep, and. Um, and the other thing is, you know, the more I work the steps, the more I know I'm gaining distance from ever having to be locked up against my will again. So it's, yeah, it's kind of a double thing. Okay. Thank you.